Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach. One of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. All right, I'm on a bit of a mission to help people understand what unique value they can add, particularly when they step outside their comfort zone and take that new assignment. Or perhaps when AI does more, the routine work faster than any of us can do. Now, I happen to believe that there are some skills that are going to be essential in the coming years. And if you want sort of to future-proof your career in a way, these are the skills I think people need to focus on. For example, there is no substitute for understanding people. That is always going to be a universally valuable skill. The more you can do of that, the better your career is going to be able to go. In addition, I think you've got to be able to sell change. Change is coming and going constantly, and you've got to be able to persuade people to follow along with it. So also you have to be able to adapt and be resilient. I think those are essential skills. But I think one additional essential skill that's critical is systems thinking. And by that, I mean being able to understand how all the pieces actually fit together in a giant system. So today, I want to focus on one way to think about the whole system, and that's by using design thinking. So what is that? How do you use it? How is it going to help you do your job, keep your job? And what do you need to develop in order to master this particular skill? And that's our focus for this episode. My guest today is Dr. CJ Meadows. She's been awarded as one of Asia's top 10 women in IT. She leads an innovation and entrepreneurship center at the SP Jane School of Global Management, which is a Forbes top 20 international business school. And she's focused on creating growth initiatives at the intersection of IT, business strategy, and design. Her research, teaching, consulting, and coaching span design thinking, leadership, creativity, entrepreneurship, sustainability, future of work, and education, just to name a few. And she also, by the way, has co-founded and chairs a corporation working for tiger conservation, so and a host of other things as well. I should add that she's also been a consultant working at a variety of other places. Accenture IT is one of those. So with that, CJ, a wealth of information. The book is the latest book, I should say, is the Design Thinking Workbook. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. I'm super excited to talk to you about it. I think this systems thinking thing is so essential, but we don't understand how to develop it. So I'm excited about your work. But before I go there, you've had this fascinating career. You've been a consultant. You've been an entrepreneur. You've been a faculty member. You've been a researcher. You've been in IT. I mean, what got you interested in design thinking? Well, I I started my career like in the late 80s with Accenture, building big mainframe systems and so forth for big companies, U.S. government and so forth. And online started to get big. And I really loved it because then I was working with people trying to figure out, hey, what do you do all day and how can we make tech to to make life easier and hopefully better? Um, After a few years of building tech, I realized, you know, it isn't actually the tech that I'm excited about, although that gives us new capabilities. It's actually what we do with it. 
And so I got into business strategy again with Accenture and we were doing strategies for big corporations and banks and stuff. And then e-commerce comes along and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is the intersection between IT and strategy. And I joined a, a different consultancy that was an e-business builder for, again, big corporations wanting to dip their toes in. And yeah, guess what? Those toes are still there. Um, on every team, we always had a business strategist like me, a technologist, technology architect, and a designer. And if we didn't have all three of those elements, we didn't do the project. And I had already been introducing design thinking to computer science master's students earlier. And I'm like, ooh, whoa, 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 I've seen this before. Um, and it works. And it's a, a tried and true method for innovation, um, tech-led innovation. Um, so after, after leaving that consultancy and being an entrepreneur, basing what I was offering on what people needed and wanted, um, I noticed over the years that we've had a growing population of IT professionals. We've had a growing population of strategists and strategy consultants. We still don't have enough designers. And now I spend most of my time doing design, uh, teaching master's students design thinking so that we can have more of those folks and leading corporate workshops and executive education to help bring us this. Why is it important today? Yeah. Because our smart machines are taking over a lot of what we do and now even more of what we think and create. But it is uniquely human to go out into unstructured situations out of your comfort zone, right. investigate a system and how it works, and find out what people really need and want and design something to offer them. All right. So I think it's exact. I mean, that's very similar to how I talk about it. Why I think mm -hmm. it's such a unique skill mm -hmm. is that you are going into an unknown space where you don't really necessarily understand how the parts all fit together, whether they should fit together that way or not fit that together, or there's a better way to put them together. You don't know. And you use the tools of design thinking to go and assess. And to me, it seems that design thinking is a piece of strategic thinking. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, and you know, one of the, and, all and, together. Yeah. and I love how you're, you're totally focused on out of your comfort zone. And the thing that I think some pe sometimes people don't realize until they do it, when being out of your comfort zone is why you're uncomfortable. And it's why you're of value. Yeah. As long as you have the courage to ask those questions like, hey, why is it this way? Why are we doing this? What's, hey, how do you do that? Well, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. I love that one. That's a great one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you now for forever. That when great. you're out of your comfort zone, that is when you are valuable as a human being. Yes. Because you're asking exactly. things that machines can't ask, never can't, will not capable of doing, at least not yet. We well, maybe someday, but anyway. All right. And often, oh, oh, and I'm sorry to build on that. And oftentimes the experts in the situations themselves, they won't ask it either because they're assumptions. Right. 
right? Their framework is what we're doing and how we're doing it. And that's the logical way. And so they can't break it apart. And the whole point is to break it apart to see if there's a better way. Okay, perfect. All right. Now we've been talking about design thinking, like everybody understands what we mean. Can you just sort of give us a quick, what is this thing called design thinking and are there particular steps to it? I mean, give us a little tutorial Mm -hmm. here on what this Mm -hmm. is. Absolutely. So design thinking is a a human-centered approach to innovation that draws from the designer's toolkit and thinking styles and so forth to find out what do people need and want, what's technologically feasible, and what's a business viable way to offer it to them. And technologists like me love our shiny tech, and so we start with tech. Yeah. And then we get really disappointed when we find out, you know what? No one cares. <laughs> Nobody wants to use it. Does solve my problem? And, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, then businesses also get really disappointed. Here's what we want to sell. And they put in a big push and sell really hard. And again, nobody cares. People care what they are trying to get done. And you got to get into their heads. And that's what design thinking is all about. Yeah. Oh, and you're, I think you asked, you know, how to do it and stuff. Yeah, um, how do you do it? It, basically, there are loads of different methodologies out there, and the the super proficient professionals go beyond methodologies. They just approach problems and put it together like an expert chef does. Um, but they all have this in common. You start by getting out there, immersing yourselves in your user's world to learn to understand what people need and want. Then you immerse yourself in your own wild thinking of how should the the world be, the future be? And then you prototype and experiment, you know, you bring it down, make make things real, and show it to people and co-create. And all three of those are uncomfortable for different reasons. Yes. Yes. All right. So immersing yourself in the user's world means I have to suspend my own opinion about what the user should be doing, should want, could want. I've got to throw that out the door in order to listen, actually see, and actually hear. And we all know tons of stories where we'll go out in the world to watch the users, but completely miss what they were doing or what they needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's sometimes when you find your your problem that you thought you were going to work on. <gasps> oh, no, that's not a problem at all. <laughs> it's really this. And if we were going to do that, we would have failed. Okay. All right. So is there anything else that's hard about that immersion process? You know, for one thing, you will go out of your comfort zone where you, quote, unquote, don't belong. And, and... You know, you're going to be in a totally new environment asking a whole lot of dumb questions. Um, But, you know, you got to realize that makes you look like the smartest person in the room because you're the only one who's going to ask them. Um, Yeah, people don't like to get out of their comfort, their office, comfortable or not, Mm -hmm. with their people they know and the routines they know and just go out there and mess around. How do you tell management that that is important to the business and creates value. This is messing around, um, but there's enough research on design thinking to show the business value and it's pretty stunning. Right, right. Okay, 
So I do a bunch of wild imagining thinking. I immerse myself in some possibilities. How on earth, I mean, that's where your methodologies are going to come in, but how do I break away from my already sort of chained thinking into this wild Mm. space? Yeah. You know, the, the most classic technique that takes two minutes to learn and you can go and do it forever is diverge converge. Okay. So when you diverge and, and as a team, you're, you're trying to think of things together and build on each other's ideas, just put everything that comes into your head on the board, no matter how wild it is. Because, you know, the wild ideas, oftentimes they come at the end of a brainstorm there. So make sure you make time and make people uncomfortable with the silence at the end. And you know, the wild stuff can be brought down, It's a lo- but it's a lot easier to make a wild idea workable than a mediocre idea great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's David Kelly, classic design thinking. Right. And I, I, did have, um, I did have an executive team one time, and I was, I was leading them through a retreat. So here's all the country heads and the new CEO that wants innovation, yada, yada. And, you know, they put up all kinds of stuff on the board mm-hmm. and came to me and said, you know, we don't think these are really creative. What's wrong? And I'm like, oh, okay. Did you put the things on the board that you thought you probably could do? Yeah. And that you'd probably get approval? Oh, well, yeah. And you'd probably make a case for getting budget? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Rip that paper off and throw it away. Now, just put up the stuff that you think is the right thing to do. And they came up with nine new business initiatives. Okay. Now, the, the, what comes after all those ideas um, is to, now you've converged, you got a lot of ideas, excuse me, now you've diverged, have a lot of ideas, now converge onto one that you're going to move forward with. And that convergence process doesn't involve just voting because everybody's going to walk out the room not knowing what they voted on, not committed to it, and eh, you're going to forget it. Right. How, how many times has this happened in your company? Yeah. Um, but through a particular process of conversation called that I call dotversation, you can come up to one or a few initiatives that people understand fully, agree on, and are committed to. Okay, so can you describe this process? You said dotversation? <laughs> Dot for stage, yeah. So, like, um, one of the things we do is um, we write one idea per post-it pad, right? And stick it up on a flip chart. We got, you know, like in for for a, a diverge in ten minutes, I want thirty-five ideas. If mm-hmm. you have fifteen minutes, I want fifty ideas out of the team. Uh, and people look at me like I'm nuts, but they can actually do it. Yeah. All right. So you got all these ideas on board. You take some little sticky dots mm-hmm. or, you know, make a little circle with your pen or whatever and, you know, have a brainstorm leader for your team at the board say, okay, here's two or three dots for each person. Put a dot on the idea that you feel the most energy around or that you think is worth pursuing, something like that. And people will do that. And then you'll see ideas with no dots. They're, they're gone. And there's some with one, some with two or three or more. So then you start asking, okay, the leader asks, so who, who dotted this? And then people raise their hand. 
okay, why did you dot this? What does this mean to you? And through the course of the conversation, looking at all the ideas, people do naturally come to consensus. They'll either narrow it down or, you know, what have you, or they may come up with a portfolio and you put those on a little grid, for example, an impact feasibility grid. Mm -hmm. All right, here's the five things that we think might go into our, our project portfolio. This one, yeah, 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 it's really impactful. We're not sure we can do it. Okay, this is super feasible. It's not that important. And when you find something that's super impactful and very doable, well, uh, that goes to the top. That's right, right, right. Okay, so it's a process of getting people to say where they have energy around what sets of ideas to discuss what that means, what they're envisioning of the idea, make sure we all sort of have some sense, because often the words sound one thing, and when you hear the description of it, it gets mm -hmm. much more exciting. And yeah. then we sort of do some test along the way to some we're going to fall away from the wayside, and then we're looking for impact and feasibility, and you've got commitment then. And uh, having seen these sessions and having led some of them, they're fun, a fun to run, and people love participating in them because it is anything other than passive. It's and it's freeing. Yeah, they can think out of the box instead of constantly being hit with, "We can't do that." Management won't approve. We don't have budget. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. pants knows all the way. Yeah. I've seen teams, uh, back to your idea about diverging, I've seen teams who have a wild idea, a series of wild ideas that everybody would say is really not very feasible. Okay, so <laughs> not going to maybe impactful, but not very feasible. Mm -hmm. But those ideas become the springboard for something completely different yes. that does become feasible. Or the combination of two or three of those wild ideas leads to a nub of something you hadn't thought about before. So yeah. and uh, oh, go go go. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And and sometimes people do find a way to make it feasible. Yeah. Can I tell you a story on that? Sure. I got one. Okay, so there was this. Um, there was a city that wanted a an, an iconic building. Um, so the tourists would travel from halfway around the world just to see this building. And uh, so they held an architectural competition. They invited famous architects. Eros Aronin was one of the famous judges, and he arrived late. So they said, yeah, come, come, come. See what we like pre did in round one. And he looked through them, and they were all, you know, nice. And he noticed one in the waste paper bin. He pulled it up, stretched it out, and said, oh, my God, this is amazing. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, we, we've never seen anything like it. We, we, don't, we don't even know if we can do it. And he's like, my gosh, you have to try. It was the Sydney Opera House. Mm -hmm. And the moment I said that, a picture of the building popped in your head. You know it halfway around the world. So sometimes those wild ideas, yeah, you bring them down. But sometimes you do find out that they are feasible. Okay. All right. Um, so prototyping and experimenting. I'm going to go to the mm. next piece of this one. And then I'm going to come backwards. I'm just giving you fair warning. Sure. So prototyping <laughs> and experimenting. 
You know, the notion is we often say fail fast or fail forward is the expression that often gets used. He's very famous with Dave Kelly is one yeah. of the components of this idea. Oh, yeah. But the idea that I'm going to create a fast, um, imperfect, flawed mm. prototype, mm -hmm. a sample, mm. and mm -hmm. test it, yeah. I just think is such a lovely idea because you get so much data, but we are so afraid to do it. So what? how do we get Ooh, more yeah. prototyping and experimenting going on? You know, it's, it's all about fear and it's all about co-creation. Mm-hmm. So especially as a consultant or any executive out there listening to you, ah, we do not like to look stupid. We do not like to put out junk. Um, but Dave Kelly is right. You have to fail, quote unquote, fail fast to succeed sooner. One of the, because when we're talking, we're pretty much barking at people all day and nobody understands, you know, like woof, 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 wrong, woof, woof, woof change yeah. I, I like hello um but when i make something and people can see it then they get it yeah I, I had a situation in a company some time ago i was head of department and i wanted a website for our department and so of course i go to central it i worked with them and worked with them and worked with them and it's just like i'm barking all day and then, you know, I hired consultants and they went through the same pro damn process and I'm barking all day. And then I hired somebody else. And I'm, again, I'm barking all day. And I said, you know, I was trying not to do this, but I'll just make the damn thing myself. Mm -hmm. And they did. I made a prototype site. And then Central IT looked at it and said, oh, oh, is that what you meant? Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and by the way, it's done in a week or two, not two years. And uh, could we just forward our site to that site? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fine. But until you show people something, they really don't understand what you're talking about. Right. I think that's yeah. true. That's the hallmark of Shark Tank, too, if you think uh -huh. about it. If you talk to any of the creators of Shark Tank, they will say that what makes an item that sells on any uh -huh. of these shows is where you can identify a need that's unmet and you can demonstrate in a few seconds how yeah. this thing you're selling solves that problem. But you got to see it. If you can't demonstrate mm -hmm. it, then it doesn't go anywhere. Same idea here. We need to see exactly. it. Well, and also the, the final thing is co-creation. We need to learn how to create with other people and operate like a group brain. And those co-creation skills are going to be even more important as we in move into an age of more human type work. Right. So what's the hallmark of doing co-creation? How, how do we do that more effectively? You know, having something tangible really does help because no, no longer are you focused on the other people and who's winning the argument or what have you. Here's this thing, or here's this user that we've, we've put up a profile. Let's design for this person. Um, equality in the group is very important willingness to speak up and create creative dissonance is important you don't mm -hmm. want destructive dissonance you don't want, want no dissonance at all yeah um yeah those are some of the hallmarks that you can say you can start with and practice Ag again it's conceptually easy but doing it building a skill it's like riding a bicycle just get out there and do it right right 
I think. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got another one. Some people use this as a license to ask users to do the design for you. Mm. And they just collect what people say they want. And then you get back to the old Henry Ford. Well, if I asked people what they want, they would have said a faster horse. Okay, but yeah. I gave them something totally different. So don't give up your responsibility at that point to be the designer. Collect what they need and want and collect their ideas. But you are, are you and your team have to do the, the creation. The creation. All right. I gave you fair warning. I want to go back because I still think the one of the most important pieces of this is the ability to go out in the world and observe observe without my already mental models of what is and how it goes and why it should be and what I'm going to look at and what I'm going to ignore and what I think, oh, well, they just didn't read the instructions or some other version of that. Help us understand how to go out to observe. You know, there's a whole field on this. It's called ethnography. It's mm -hmm. the study of cultures and people. Um, one of the things that you need to do is, number one, realize you have to go out of your office. Yeah. There was a great story. There's a great example of a pharma company that was made designing new bottles. And, you know, they got nowhere with bringing people in for a focus group. Mm -hmm. So they hired designers who, of course, went to people's homes. And they found this one little old lady who could open any bottle despite her arthritic hands. Because she took the damn thing to the kitchen and would shear off the top with her meat slicer. <laughs> she didn't think to say anything. Uh, and they didn't think to ask. Uh, for her, that's just her life. For them, what? So you have to be there. And then you have to make yourself productive by looking at the extremes and get creative by looking at analogies. Okay. So what do you mean by looking at analogies? Okay. Classic example is a hospital emergency room that hired a design team. Where did they go for good ideas? Fresh ideas? Formula One racing, of course. Because <laughs> okay. when that car patient rolls in, that team's got to be fast. They've got to get it right. Or that driver could die and others. Okay. They brought back so many good ideas. And then they invited the pit crew to the hospital and said, well, here's what we do. How would you do it? Okay. Save many more lives. All right. I can see that. So we're looking outside our world into other worlds yes. for ideas. Okay. Yes. So I go out, I use ethnography tools, I document, I ask questions, I try mm -hmm. not to make assumptions about what people are thinking or how they're thinking, but it's still going to come back and integrate that into some understanding of the world, understanding of mm -hmm. the need that's out there. Do you have any tools for helping to integrate that all? So I see yeah. the picture. That is actually where just the human mind comes in. Um, you know, what, what happens is when you're doing your ethnography, you're, you're digging for deeper insights into why people behave the way they do. What is it they need, they want? How do they feel? What, what's the problem? All that kind of stuff. So you may come generate insights from one person, or you may also see patterns among several people with informed intuition, but, you know, and 
um, you can compare and contrast the highs and the lows. One thing that, that teams do is they, they, may, they will usually post on the wall, you know, post-its with insights, scribbles on the wall, pictures, videos that can be played, and all of that. And over time, people are passing the wall. And they're like, hey, wait a minute, this connects to that and so forth. So visualizing is a very important thing. Um, and discussion among the team to try and understand more deeply what are the patterns what, and what are the deeper insights. See, I think the patterns and the deeper insights mm -hmm. are the part that I am most intrigued with. And I think that's where that component, the going out and observing, and then mm -hmm. bringing that back and looking for the patterns and the deeper insights is where the magic begins. Now, there's a lot more mm -hmm. to it than that. But that, like, how is there, are there any techniques that help people see the patterns? Yes, visualization. Mm -hmm. Yes, lots of people mm -hmm. talking. Any other techniques we have? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we do as qualitative researchers, which I do, you know, as an academic and also as an industry practitioner in design thinking, is called coding. Mm -hmm. So you can take some of what you've seen and what was said and put keywords on it mm -hmm. um, and, and then look through, sort through your keywords to see, you know, how often is this issue, this, this keyword issue coming up? Um, is it coming up next to something else? Um, so there's a, there's a variety of those. And also, if you take those keywords and stick them on your desk and it's going to be a big mess um you know then you can also sort through them and kind of cluster them so clustering is very important so that you can come up with an underlying framework of what are the key clusters mm -hmm. and how do they relate to each other mm -hmm. okay that i think is magic that's just the science of it. That's not the art. The magic <laughs> is putting it. the science and art together. Yeah, I get that. I get that. This notion of being able to look at information, which is yeah. basically what we've collected mm -hmm. and hopefully unbiased information and pull back from it and say, what's there? What is this? What is the dot connected to that dot? What's the frequency? What's the essence of a problem that we really do need to solve and we hadn't seen before? To me, that's where this whole thinking about the mm -hmm. system becomes the secret. I don't know, the thing I'm looking to get people to develop more of, I think. So I love your techniques, though. One is to tag with keywords. So I'm looking at frequency. I'm looking at adjacency, what words come up with what other words how often do those come together? That may give me some insights. I'm looking at clusters. I'm looking mm -hmm. at clusters that are uh, what's in that cluster and what's related to it. And in effect, looking for a pattern, waiting for a pattern to emerge. But one of the things that you said is absolutely crucial to this process, unbiased. Mm -hmm. So when you're out there doing your observations, you've got to ask really good questions and asking questions is an art as well um, so that you can help your users keep you honest um, yeah. another thing is the journey map uh, which usually you'll go out and make one 
to figure out what are all the steps to get something done? What do people do, say, think, and feel at every step along the way? Okay, great. That's This is a perfect place to stop, CJ, because I want to come back and talk with some more examples about where design thinking works and where it doesn't work. And I want to hear more about the journey map and how we can use that. So my guest today is Dr. CJ Meadows. She's in Asia, as you've heard, but having worked all around the world, a book I highly recommend is the Design Thinking Workbook. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk to you about some of the resources she has available on her website. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. Today, we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Dr. C.J. Meadows. We are talking about design thinking, what it is, how you use it, why it matters, and why I happen to think that this is an essential skill that we need going forward, particularly when you begin to think about AI systems and automation and some of the more routine jobs being taken over by machines. This design thinking is uniquely human, and I think one we're not going to be able to give up. I also think it expands your ability to see the strategic bigger picture, to understand how the parts fit together, and to do that lovely thing that your company probably calls enterprise-wide thinking. But not let me not get ahead of myself. I think it's got a series of tools that are just amazing. So we've been talking about design thinking and the fact that there are sort of four big components to it. 
One is going out and immersing yourself in the user's world so you understand what the needs are, what the problem really is, not what you thought it was, and that you're observing in an unbiased way. You're going to come back with lots of data. With that data, you now need to immerse yourself in some wild thinking about what could we do? What are the possibilities? What are the patterns? How could this all happen? What are, what's possible? Then you're prototyping and experimenting. Fast, quick prototype, experiment, and do that in a co-creation way. So that's the general thing that we've been talking about. I was just quizzing CJ before the break about the ways to find, to see the insights, um, to go deeper, see the patterns, and to find the deep insights. And CJ, you said that doing it in an unbiased way was really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so one of the one of the things that is see your analysis is going to be no better than the data you collected. So one of the things that you need to do is make that data collection super productive. And one way you do that is with extremes. Okay. Um, what do I mean by that? You're you're looking for your super users who can show you everything that's right and that they love and new uses for your products and services. And the people who hate you, there's an, an uncomfortable situation to get into, you know, and you got to find out what's wrong. So, uh, you know, let me ask you, I mean, if you're doing, and this was actually done, uh, a municipal project on sidewalks and curbs and crossing the street and all this kind of stuff, how many average users do you suppose you're going to have to watch to see what's wrong, what's right? You're going to be there all day, all week, all month. Yeah. Now let me ask you, how many people in a wheelchair mm -hmm. do you have to observe to see that something's wrong with the curbs right. and the, the crosswalks? Just yeah. one. One, right. So you need to think beforehand, who are the extremes? And like in an HR project, where you're trying to, to expand the tenure of your employees. Who's staying super long? Why? Who's leaving super quick? Why? What's the difference? So then in your analysis, you can look at some of that what's the difference kind of stuff. Sometimes you want to put in, uh, to keep you unbiased, more than one user that knows each other. We, we were doing um, something for a pharmaceutical company and they wanted to launch a new service that the government wanted to fund and everything. We had the, this, this elder guy and we were asking, okay, so if you, we have the center and we're going to collect all your data, you know, will you come and swim for us at like seven o'clock in the mornings? Yeah, yeah, of course I will. His wife was on the team. That's why he was there. She said, no, you will not. So, so you need to have other team members keep you honest and other people in the user group to keep each other honest. Right, right. So they tell the real truth about it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we get good data. We ask really tough questions. We ask dumb questions, as said earlier. We look at the extremes. All right now, you talked about this idea of journey map. Explain what yes. that is. How does that help? Yes. So uh, when you're gathering your data, trying to figure out how do things work today, you take your user's point of view. Okay, some, some customer comes to you and they need to get something done. What are the steps they've got to go through to get something done? 
um, there was a healthcare um, business in Europe that was absolutely sad and dismayed to see all the steps that people had to go through to get them to give their services and, and solve the, the, the client's problem. And people were really discouraged. Yeah. But it's important then to tell your team, no, 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 no. Still be proud of what you've always been doing and that you do your job well. We just need to redesign the process. Right. So if it takes 20 steps to do something, could we make that five? Could we make that three? Amazon's famous three-click process or one-click ordering. Um, now, at every step along the way, you're also going to map out what does your user have to do in that step? What is it that they're thinking? And you have to ask them, of course. Right. What do they say to other people, mm -hmm. including your own staff? And how do they feel at that point in time? Are you making them uncomfortable or frustrated or et cetera? So even if your process is okay and you don't need to shorten it, there are going to be pain points and you need to fix those. Now, the journey map is actually a fantastic thing, not only for observation stage, but also that's for your solve, your design stage. Because if you, and if you can't fill in this whole table, you don't understand the situation well enough. So get back out there. Then when you're designing the future, design it using the same framework. And if you can't fill the whole table in, you haven't really designed it. Okay. Right. So it's a test, if you will, to make sure that you've thought about all the components that need to be thought about. All right. Yeah. Now, we've been describing this as if it's journey map with a user, but it strikes me that you could do this as a journey map with an internal process. Oh, totally. Any number. I mean, there's like this can go to anything where there's a series of steps. Okay. Can see how that Ma would be very as useful. A matter, as a matter of fact, design thinking as field has gone from product design to service design to customer experience design to employee experience design. And these days when it's hard to get the people you want and make their their future of work situation productive, you're going to want that. I have a bunch of clients who have complicated processes for good reason, for which they've had to layer on more complicated processes in order to solve another problem, and in which they've layered on yet a third series of complicated processes. So the frustration for the employees trying to get through each of those steps in the process, we all understand why they're there, why they're an essential, et cetera, but it's so frustrating and they are losing people right, left, and center because mm. of sheer frustration with that mm -hmm. internal process. That's where design thinking would help them. Yes. And again, if you got the journey map, then you make sure we're not losing any core components along the way in the process. We still got to cover those issues. Mm -hmm. but look for a simpler way to do it. Okay, mm -hmm. CJ, before I forget it, you have tons of resources on your website. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about what's there and how, what people can go and find? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, first of all, you can find the, the book, uh, Design Thinking Workbook, Essential Skills for Creativity and Business Growth. Um, 
that book will has a link that'll take you to Amazon, so you can get the Kindle, get the paper version. There's a free for 14 days multimedia intro, so that's on the Novi platform. Uh, you can go get that, um, and there's also some videos. Some of the videos on the uh, on the site are ones that I use at the beginning of a workshop. Right. See the video and then warm everybody up talking about the issues in that video. If you go down on the page a little bit more, remember I said that workbook is both paper and Kindle? Yeah. Okay. And this is not supposed to be something you just read. It's supposed to be something you do. Okay, how are you going to do a worksheet on a Kindle? You're not. So there's over 50 worksheets uh, hosted on Mural.co, my favorite online collaboration platform. Um, and you can just click on any of those worksheets and do them with your team or do them virtually yourself. Right. Uh, All right. And the website, yeah. just give us the, the name for it. Absolutely. DrCJMeadows.com. So yes. D-R-C-J-M-E-A-D-O-W-S.com. Um, and there's a design thinking page and it also has like places to get more experience, maybe do some charity pro projects to build up your skills articles, whatever. Okay. Fabulous. Having poked around on that website, I can certify that there is so much information <laughs> all beautifully presented. Go Thank look you. at it. I think you'll, um, you'll find a lot of resources here. Okay. So CJ, where is design thinking best used? Like what's the best mm -hmm. use case for design thinking? And then I'm going to ask you the opposite. Where doesn't it work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it's got to be human centered because this is all about investigating people, their problems, and so forth. Um, it's got to be something complex because you and a team are going to spend some design, uh, some time digging into this. Um, generally, you've got little or no data. And very, very important, you don't have a solution, but you also don't really understand the problem. Okay. So this is where it works best. Okay. So I have little data. I don't really understand the problem. It's human-centered. It's messy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And the problem is worth solving. So the issue is yes. worth spending time on. Okay. Did yes. I capture all the components to it? Absolutely. All right. Have you ever been in a design thinking process where it didn't work? Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Sad, about that. Uh, yeah, I admit it. I admit it. <laughs> um, so generally, we're working on a, a solid challenge that is strategically important and there's no roadblocks because I've already set that up. But I had one client where they wouldn't give me the people full time, anybody, any people. So I'm like, okay, all right, all right, let's try with the executives concerned um, part time. And frankly, there is so much time wasted between one workshop and the next workshop where we got to say, oh, yeah, remember what we did in the first workshop and all this kind of stuff. And it ultimately, um, because it was not done continuously and people were part-timing yeah. and some people were actually assigned to it. They didn't volunteer. They didn't really want to do this. Didn't go anywhere. So. Right. Anytime right. somebody wants to do that, I just tell them, no, don't waste your money. Yeah. 
So I've got to have a dedicated team. I've got to have people who want to be involved in it. People have to believe that this is a worthy cause. Otherwise, we're not getting anywhere. So otherwise, it's just experimentation. Are they do one once a week or once a month sessions? Contiguous so that the ideas emerge and we can brainstorm and then follow up on it and begin to see the patterns. Are there kinds of problems? You said that um, it's best when it's human centered, but have you seen problems where design thinking just isn't applicable? Oh, yeah. Remember, I used to do batch processing, uh, you know, making big tech systems, designing those. There's no people in them. Sorry. It's just, you know, moving files and doing stuff with data. That's not a design thinking problem or optimizing your robotic um, factory, uh, the factory line, et cetera. You know, those that those those are for other kinds of optimization and problem solving. But the but so I want people involved and the messiness of people involved. So if there's yeah. no people involved, then out we go onto a different kind of process. Okay. Also, if you're just responding to customer complaints, that's not really a design thinking problem until it reaches the point whereby, no, people just are generally unhappy. Right. Then you got to figure out what's really going on. But if you're just doing, you know the problem, you have a complaint, you fix the problem, eh, you yeah. don't need to do Yeah, I... Um, to borrow words from Clay, the late Clayton Christensen, trying to understand the job to be done. Yes, what absolutely. What people are really trying to solve here and how do we think about solving that in a very different way? If it's and, just and that, I got a broken link, go fix the broken link. We don't need design thinking for it. Exactly. And that's the intersection between, uh, one of the intersections between uh, disruption mm-hmm. and design thinking um, in design thinking speak, we call it a need or desire. In disruption, it's the job to be done. But also once in design thinking, you get to envisioning the future and designing it. Disruption comes in again. You'd better make sure that your solution is 10 times better than the alternative because people don't want to switch. Right. Right. And that's something we learned from Clay as well. Yeah. And you may want to focus on the bottom of the market and uh you know the the uh disruptive situations situations that are ripe for disruption and then apply design thinking within that situation okay so that is narrowing down on where it is that design mm. thinking is going to be the most useful uh, where there's a big payoff where there are people you might be willing to get people to switch but also is under not understood Absolutely. And and then, but also it, it design thinking is useful for both radical and routine innovation. And sometimes it's been criticized for being too routine. Okay. But that's partly the nature of the problem that only routine innovation was needed in that situation. Mm-hmm. And it's partly the skills of people in, in the team and the leadership of the team. Are we going for something radical or are we are we just trying to improve a little bit? what we already have. Right. All right. Fair enough. Um, in the few minutes that are remaining, I'm wondering if you have one more tool that you think we should know about that you think would be useful and you'd like to describe. You've talked about the journey map. You've talked about converge, diverge. You've talked about asking really good questions. You've talked about clustering ideas and keywords. Any other tool you think is particularly powerful? 
You know, actually, I think I'm going to share with you a tool that I often don't get to present um, because it's at the challenge stage. But that challenge stage is so important because if you don't ask the right question, you're not going to get the right answer. Um, When you start with a challenge, one thing you can do is stick it on a post-it, stick it on your flip chart, right? Mm -hmm. Then ask why do we want to address this challenge and go up and find out well, what is this really going to get you is and is it strategically important um are there other things other challenges you could address for those key strategies and goals that you have and those go along the side so maybe there's a better problem and this one isn't that important draw some arrows down and ask Okay, what's stopping us from doing this? Whoa, it's this and this and this and this. Then you ask, okay, are any of those roadblocks and we need to fix that problem before we fix this problem? Challenge map. Okay, so it's called a challenge map. I like that because you're looking both at is this the right problem or is there a subset problem we've got to solve to get there? So where are the roadblocks? And in addition, I'm looking, is this the highest level problem we need to be talking about? So do I want to go up and say, is there something more strategic? Is there something more impactful? Is there something bigger that we want to be addressing? So a challenge map. What a great tool. I like that one a whole lot. CJ, last question. What takes you out of your comfort zone? Ooh, every time I do design thinking, I hop into something new that I don't know. Um, but you know, after having done innovation and design thinking for a lot of years, I'm, I've grown comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, you know, and, but very importantly, when I take on a new role, um, I've developed such a broad past with so many different tools and, and experiences that there's always something I can draw on. Um, so most important to me is just to take one step at a time instead of trying to change everything all at once. And that's more of a career progression thing. But anyway, right. it's um, what I hear from people that I talk to all the time about getting out of their comfort zone. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Yes. Because you have faith yes. that, yep, this is uncomfortable, but it will be okay. Exactly. And that's, you know, one, and you break it down. I take one step and then the next step and the next step. What great advice on getting out of your comfort zone. CJ, what a fun conversation. Dr. CJ Meadows, the book I recommend highly is the Design Thinking Workbook. There are tons of others. I strongly recommend you go to her website, drcjmeadows.com. You're going to find videos. You're going to find worksheets. You're going to find eBooks. You're going to find access to the regular book, a whole host of other things. So CJ, What a pleasure to have you on the show today. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. With my pleasure. Thank you for being here. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please like us on your favorite podcast server. And otherwise, join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.